Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome to the Tony and Dakota podcast. Today, we've got another virtual guest that Tony's going to introduce. This is Tristan Ross Delavic. Uh, he's known on Instagram as Windy City Tristan. I was looking at how many followers a guy. I was like, geez, look at this guy, like 988,000 yeah. followers on Instagram. Uh, I see that he has his own podcast, too. I was looking through some of his podcasts, the Adversity Kings podcast. He's got like 157 episodes. And I see like a diversity of people like MMA fighters. He's got some exotic car sales people on there. Bear hunters, like people who actually go kill those like things that will maul you if you mess with their babies. Yeah. And so I'm looking at Tristan and I'm looking at some of the mentors that he's got and some of the things he's got going on in his life. And uh, I, he's got to be crushing it at sales. I know he's doing a few other things on the side. So really excited to to interview this guy and get to know him. Thanks so much for coming on, Tristan. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Absolutely. So, it's a pleasure to be on. Yeah. So I saw, it looks like, what are you currently doing right now? Because I saw you going around the parking lot and it looked like the Wolf of Wall Street. We got like, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. 18 to 24 like 25 year old men yeah and you said that they're selling life insurance primarily and everybody's driving something like you know the brand new corvette to like a yeah. audi or a mercedes or something like that what do you do how do you make so much money yeah so i long story short i got into selling life insurance when i was 18 years old i'll be 25 next month and my first year out of high school and i was a delinquent i was expelled my sophomore year so my last two years of, of high school, I actually didn't even do. My mom did, and I worked at UPS, and I was going down that just a, just a bad path. And um, ran across, or I came across life insurance, or I should say life insurance came across me because I was uploading my diploma that she got for me through online school, online high school. I was uploading that on an Indeed because I didn't want to enlist into the military because I knew I wasn't, like, extremely – intelligent when it, especially when it comes to just the scholastic system you know what i mean like pythagorean theorems and think that's not me you know what i mean like i'm not i'm not him but uh i definitely don't want to be in the military if i wasn't like a general or something you know like cool or like a pilot my, one of my favorite movies is top gun so i'm uploading this resume and uh you know, I, I get a hit back and it's an automated email, but I was 18 and, and probably, you know, a lot more gullible than I am now. I think the best, I always tell everybody, the best salespeople are the ones that just buy everything. And I'm a, I'm a buyer. I'll buy, I'll bite. Let's, let's do it. Let's give it a shot and see what happens. And I get this email from Simon Arias, uh, who's now my current business partner. And it's automated at the time, but I thought it was legit. It was like, come into my life insurance office. I grew up in Greensburg. It's like a small hick town. 45 minutes, an hour outside of uh, Pittsburgh. Office was in Pittsburgh, and I drove an hour. My mom's car drove it up there, checked it out. The prerequisites were get a life insurance license and be jacked. And I was had neither of those things. So it was like the Wolf of Wall Street. Everybody was, everybody was like 30, 40 years old, jacked, in suits. A uh, guy took me for a ride in a Maserati Gran Turismo, and I was sold because we were in food bank lines, food stamps, just like American poverty, basically. And, um, yeah, you know, I got into selling life insurance. And then, you know, fast forward now, six years later, I got an office of guys selling life insurance. The front end commission is stupid. They make a significant amount of money on uh, a week to week basis. You know, some of these guys will, they'll average 20 grand a month. So if you guys can think back, you guys look young, but if you can think back, 
you know, imagine if you guys removed all the responsibilities that you might have now. I don't know if you guys have, you know, you know, significant others or children, or anything like that. Imagine bringing in 20 grand a month, even Uncle Sam getting, you know, his cut. You're still left with a good 10, 15 grand to go do what you want. And, you know, these guys 20 years old, I try my best to be a financial advisor and say, make sure you set aside, you know, a couple bucks. But they they get some cars, they could take trips and, uh, you know, hopefully they get educated to get some real estate. But I got scared. I was watching uh, the big short last night. And I'm like, I was like, oh, my God, maybe I can ask these guys some questions on how all how did that all happen and what will stop that from happening again. But, yeah, I hope that answers your question, as I just gave, like, the most unnecessary long answer. That's that's awesome. We have so much in common, too. Dakota was a little bit more on the side of like, dude, school is not my thing. He finished yeah. an alternative school. I went to work at UPS, and so I kind I of- I worked at UPS. Like, <laughs> yeah. I got the package car job, and then I was just like, dude, this sucks. I, this yeah. is- I was a loader for a year and a half. Mm, dang. And we're, yeah, all- we're from Avila, Kendallville area in Indiana, which is kind of like a really small town too, similar yeah. to what you're talking about in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Pittsburgh, yeah, by Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got an aunt and uncle in, in uh, Indiana, and I think they're just kind of near the center. I think it's Indianapolis or something. I think they're in the center. I just know it's a two-and-a-half-hour drive, three-hour drive from where I'm at right now, and I'm like 45 minutes outside of Chicago. Love it. Yeah, and then uh, I ended up right after high school, so I went into physical labor for a couple of years, and then right after that I went into car sales. And car sales is very, very similar to, to life insurance. You know, you can make – you know, there's months I made $20,000 in a month and stuff. And you saw a lot of guys that, you know, would go and blow it like that and spend it. And it was always interesting to me how, again, it's a concept from rich dad, poor dad. So if you've not read that book, that's definitely one. That yeah, fire book. Yeah, that yeah. was the best one to get it started because it talks about, it's not about how much money you make, it's about how much money you keep. And so yeah. that's really, really where it comes down to. But my question for you is how the heck do they make so much money? in yeah. life insurance whenever i'm looking at the life insurance yeah. I'm like okay it's a hundred bucks a month for me how the frick are these guys making such big commissions yeah how is life insurance making so much money yeah so you got to look at it this way you know life insurance is is essentially when they're paying on our side and you're operating a life insurance brokerage or even in a captive organization like myself as a captive owner the the idea of life insurance is for you to pay on it for how long how would you how long would you guys say the rest of your life rest of your life so a hundred dollars a month what are you are you guys mid, mid-20s like i am uh like i'm 29 tony's 31 okay so let's say life expectancy is right now it is 86 i just know from as many presentations i've done america average male it's going to be anywhere from 80 to 86 years old obviously we believe that's going to get better so let's just say you guys get to 100 let's take 30 70 years at a hundred dollars a month it's 1200 dollars a year do the math. You take the 70 times 1200. That's a lot of money. So it does, it seems like we're making a lot of money, but at the, in the grand scheme of things, the, the real wealth is actually in act, owning the entire firm because yeah, they'll give us a couple years up front. We'll get a year uh, commission advanced to us right from one sale. So if I sell you right now, hundred dollars a month, I get $1,200 right in my first year. And then every year that you keep that in existence, they'll give me every single month up to 5% of the policy. You know what I mean? So it's like, I'll get an extra $6, you know, a month or whatever uh, for the life of that policy. So really, yeah, I'm getting, you know, out of that policy, you know, maybe 
maybe up to like $5,000 over the life of the policy. But the, the actual life insurance company is, is getting, you know, 40, $50,000. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah. it's, it's a very lucrative industry. And I always, I feel bad. And I guess not bad because I, it's a morally, I believe in the product. I think blue collar, white collar, because I used to think just blue collar needed life insurance. But then I read a book by Ben Feldman on just like, like the, the best seller or something. And he sold a billion dollars of life insurance out of a small town in Ohio, out of his career. And, um, you know, he did a lot of estate planning. So I was like, man, life insurance is just for broke people that are going to die and need to make sure taxes and final expenses are taken care of. But then I was like, let's say your guys' business is valued at $10 million. I don't think Indiana has estate tax. Uh, I know I'm licensed to sell there, and I, I don't think I'm able to do this pitch. But hypothetically, let's say you guys do business in a place that wants 20%. Like Illinois wants 16% of your estate. Let's round that up to 20%. If you guys are valued at 10 million, how is your family coming up with the $2 million prior to inheriting your $10 million business? They'd have to liquidate a portion of your business, which if you're liquidating the business, you're ceasing funds and the business is no more no longer in existence. You sell off the business. So you sell big policies like that and you're making a mill, two mil like that. So that's that's where you make all the money in life insurance. <laughs> you make it on the side of selling it. If the product's so good, I always tell people if the product's so good and they're selling you, it's going to make you rich. It's going to make you even richer selling that product. Yeah. I was thinking there's got to be something else that they're doing with the money too. Cause that's the, another thing that I was thinking about, okay, you're getting a hundred dollars a month. It takes a long time for those people to die. So there's probably just sitting in a fund somewhere. Yes. And now they're reinvesting that somewhere. There's just growing such a capacity. Yeah. That they're able to pay you front end commissions as well. I was like, yes. The way conceptually that I could think of is like, dude, they got to be investing this money, making stupid returns. And then when they pay out, it's next to nothing anyway. So, yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what happens. You know, they, they put it in MTFs, ETFs, just guaranteed long term, eight, 10 percent yields. And they take those funds and it all sits in a big pile of money. All the all the policies combined, all those uh, premiums combined on an annual basis. And it just it just doubles. Every seven years, you figure if you're getting 10% on your return, every like just doubling this account to cover insurance costs, death claims, and then you just got, you know, fun money. Yep, that's what I was thinking. And over time, too, if it's a million dollar benefit, you know, you you stretch that out over 70 years, a million dollars becomes significantly less of a dent in your overall liability. You know, a $10 million business could be a... a hundred million dollar business in 70 years with inflation absolutely. Like that. absolutely have you been thinking about investing in real estate it's not like what you see on hgtv we created a course to show you how to really invest and create a profitable flipping and wholesaling business we show you where to find the money how to find the deals and how to negotiate the deals we go over live sales calls including negotiations scripts role-playing and so much more everything that you need to know to flip houses is in this course. And if there's a video that we didn't make that you want, we'll make it for you. This knowledge has made us well over a million dollars and it's available right now for $9.97. Click the link below, buy the course. Dude, inflation ends up working against you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, uh, um, oh, I forget where it's going. Oh, you asked us about the housing market. We don't necessarily know what's going to happen with the housing market because you were talking about how like you just watched uh big short the big short and how yeah. you, do you have any rental property right now 
No, no rental property. All the money goes for me goes right back into life insurance. I buy so as a franchise owner, I buy the leads and I buy not so I lease the commercial place we're in right now, but the next next two years I'll be buying a commercial property. Okay. So that's what I'm curious. I feel like it, it looks like it's good to buy commercial real estate now as it's you know kind of at a, it seems like at a downfall, but it makes me worried because like we're where are all the, like, who's covering these loans? You know what I mean? If all these people aren't working in office and they're not paying these massive buildings, is, is the commercial real estate going to just, you know, absolutely collapse? Something we're looking into right now is a concept called infinite banking, which you probably already know. Yes. Of, universal yeah. insurance policies and the ways that those are written up and how you can yeah. find some credit against them and continually fund them. So we're doing that currently yeah. in that setup. And, uh, one of the things that I just say about the market is, man, in the in the Midwest, it doesn't seem to get hit the same way that the coast do. So you see California go up and come back down. It's volatile. You see yeah. East Coast, like New York, you see those prices go way up and then they come right back down. Usually with the Midwest, because it's such a lower end market, like usually, I don't know what your guys' rents look like, but we'll say like 1000 to 1500 a month, like maybe 2000 a month when it comes to rents in your area, those don't fluctuate as much during a downturn. And if, if things do start to get bad down during a downturn, people go from owning a home to renting a home again. So if you're holding yeah. rental real estate, like you're <laughs> normally in a pretty good spot, regardless of what the market does. That's what we kind of look at is like, regardless of what the market's doing, we never buy anything for a hundred percent of what it's worth. You know, we're usually buying properties for 50 to 60% of what they're worth doing some value adds and putting some money into them to get them into better shape and then pulling a mortgage against them and going and finding another one. That's kind of yeah. our strategy. Yeah. The main thing that I would say with your commercial real estate is it doesn't matter unless you're going to sell it. So if you're running your business out of there, your business is paying for it and it's profitable and you're now able to expand your business because of it. It doesn't matter what the market's doing. It's, it's irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, block it out unless you're selling. doesn't matter. Same thing that Tony's talking about with the rental. If it's cash flowing, it doesn't matter whether it's up or down. What matters is, is the rent paying the mortgage and you're profiting every month? It doesn't matter what it's worth. That only matters on your net worth which at the grand scheme of things doesn't really matter anyway, unless you're going to sell it and liquidate, which if you're cash flowing, you just wait till all the time that you're not. So that's kind of the way that we look at real estate. Obviously other people have different philosophies, but that's the way we've done it. And it's been pretty successful. So, wow. But yeah, I would just go buy a freaking commercial real estate, grow your business and freaking make a lot more money that way. Yeah. <laughs> and then you can always reduce your total taxes. <laughs> you can depreciate that commercial property so that you don't pay as much in taxes, which is one of those ultimate goals too, is like, how can I lose money according to the government? Like, how can I lose money on? Pay? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, that's smart. Was this your first job then uh, insurance, your first job out of high school? Yeah. Yes, it was. Holy moly. And then yeah, from an email. Yeah. One email changed, changed my life and, uh, Made, made a significant amount of money over the last six years. It'll be six years next month. Walk us through that trajectory. How much you make your first year, second year, third year, fourth year, fifth year, sixth year, and when did you actually take over his ownership? Yeah, so it's 10X over the last, uh, my, 10X my fourth year. So my first year was 114,000. That was all personal production. Second year was 140,000. I would say that was more so like 60, 70% personal production. And then my third year, I went open an office in Lincoln, Nebraska as a regional manager. So that's the highest level of essential leadership within our 
within our franchise organization prior to you just being a franchise owner. And nine months, we were down there for three months before COVID hit. And I was 20 years old, or was I 21? I was 21 and I'm running an office of, you know what I mean? Like 20 year olds, 30 year olds, you know what I mean? 18 year olds. And, you know, all these young men and women are relying on me to lead them and protect them and get them paid and COVID hits. And so COVID hits and I have no idea what we're going to go, what we're going to do. We did immediately buy, you know, guns. So we bought, we bought guns and we're like, just in case, you know what I mean? And uh, we just kind of just went with the flow. Our, our, our company moved so very quickly, just the overall, you know, company associated with, that we're with is uh, Globe Life. And, you know, they were able to put so much money into technology. We transitioned, I believe it was nine days. We were operating fully. Um, they transitioned 10,000 agents and, and agencies to uh, just completely virtual. So we operated virtually within nine days. And then six months from there, we'd already done $2 million of revenue. And so when revenue and in, in life insurance business directly corresponds with actual gross income as well for the overall uh organization you're responsible for so i had like you know 20 guys and two million dollars you know divide that by by 20 you know you got about my average guy made a hundred thousand dollars just in just in nine months you know and for for not for just sitting on a phone and working on zoom selling individuals life insurance that's a lot of money you know what i mean we we made a lot of money in a short period of time and that year i made three hundred forty five thousand dollars and i was 21 years old i had two jaguars um and that was probably a highlight of my life. You know, I, that was probably my most profitable year, year to date, because I didn't have owner expenses. So I had hundred grand after taxes. Like it was a lot of, it was a lot of money for me. You know what I mean? Especially coming from like food bank lines, no money, whole family, no money. And um, yeah, that was, that was, that was massive. And then my fourth year as I moved into ownership, we did $2.6 million in gross income and we're on a 60, 40 split. So that was my I was 20, 22 when I made my first million. Wow. And that's, that's all that's gross. You know what I mean? Again, I was more profitable after 345, just to put things into perspective of how much money goes into like opening up a life insurance business. 100%. Well, I think most people don't understand that as an owner, you can gross a lot. And, but yeah. almost like, dude, like, that's what I always tell the sales guys. And like, they think we're crazy. I'm like, dude, I'd rather be doing what you're doing. And sometimes I'm like, bro, you're making yes. more than I am. Like, our yes. net worth is growing faster. Yes, we're going to be well, but that's when we stop. Like, it feels like, you know, and like yeah. right now you're making more money than we are. Like the yeah. same guys are. Um, but what I wanted to ask you was, uh, you know, 21 and like you're going into like a leadership role. How, how did that change you from going to like, uh, you know, hey, it's all about me. It's all about how much I produce and income. And then now I'm responsible for these other people. Like, how did that change you as a person? And what are some leadership tips that you can give us? Yeah, man, I've, I've spent a lot of time, and I guess by a lot of time, four years, you know, but basically a college degree right there, just studying John Maxwell leadership. I've read a significant amount of books and, and things I've poured myself into. And I just, I kind of paralleled my ego and my selfish desires that you just can't strip away from, from the human being. You know what I mean? Like just, it's just genetically and biologically we're wired to be selfish. And so selfishly, I want to win at anything that I'm doing. And so moving into a leadership position, I just paralleled and quickly realized, I think it would take an idiot not to, that if I want to win at the highest level as a leader, 
I just have to be the best servant to the individuals that I'm leading. And so serving people is, is number one. You know what I mean? I, I think leadership, it's, it's nothing more than just servanthood of people and always asking yourself that John F. Kennedy question of, you know, don't ask yourself what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. And so I just replace country with people. You know, I'm not, I'm not asking my people what they can do for me. I'm just asking what I can do for them. And I'm genuinely building a relationship. You don't need a book. You don't like, I've read all these books just to realize like leadership is just patience, persistence, and doing what you would do to your, like for your mom. You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't screw your mom over. You would want her to have the best training and like your dad, whoever that, that significant other, that, that those significant people in your life are just, just treating everybody, you know, with the same respect, like you see the cliche memes and things like, do you treat the CEO the same way as the janitor? It's like, if you just live like that, you know what I mean? in leadership and, you know, have that balance of, you know, accountability, but just love, you're going to excel. You know what I mean? I think a lot of people, they just, they underestimate what they can get done in, in years in decades. And then they overestimate what they can get done in, in weeks and months and in a singular year. You know what I mean? And I think that's where, that's where turnover is everywhere. I, I made a post the other day. I was like, you know, people don't hate what they do. They just don't know how to do what they do, you know? And it's like when individuals find, you know, familiarity with something, they actually, uh, familiarity has a direct link to like being fond of something. Like the more familiar you are with something, the more fond you are of that thing that you're, you're participating in and doing. You just don't like it because you don't know what you're doing yet. And so people don't like leadership for the most part because they haven't done it long enough yet. It's like you didn't like when you first rode your bike because you kept falling off and hitting your knees. You know what I mean? So it's like now you love riding your bike as a kid because you rode it so many times. You got so many reps in your, you know, king bike rider in the neighborhoods. It's just, it's everything is in life has duality and there's correlation between all of it of like, it's really simple. You know what I mean? Just get reps in, be patient. And it'll work out. Are you letting deals fall through the cracks because you don't have good systems in place? We've been there before. And honestly, we've tried several different CRMs and RE Simply has been the absolute best. RE Simply tracks your KPIs, does automatic follow-ups for you, and even records incoming phone calls. The system is very easy to use, and honestly, it has more features than we even know what to do with. If you're looking for a great CRM, try RE Simply today. Click the link in the description below. Check it out now. Awesome. What, uh, what do you think separated you from some of the other guys in the office? Because you said that you got a leadership position. Was it just that you were the yeah. number one guy and they're like, oh, sure, yeah. Tristan's the number one guy. Were you better at converting? Were you just more persistent and put in more effort? Like how do you yeah. get that leadership role? That's a great question. So for me, generating, generating the results and getting into the leadership role for me directly was, was directly linked to my ability to just outwork everybody. And I say that humbly because that's like my only talent, <laughs> you know, like when, like all the reading that I have to do, like I have to read just to catch up to some of these guys that come in with a master's degree and, and with a, just a really good head on their shoulders and just, they're just intellectually a lot more adept than I am just quicker, faster and smarter. So I've got to outwork people to, to generate the results that I want to generate. And that's what got me to where I'm at. And, and where we're headed as well. So I would definitely say that's that's the only thing for me is just outwork, attitude, effort. And I'd say coachability. You know, anytime my mentor Simon has called me and had a game, a game change or some type of play he wanted to call, business adjustment, whatever, even in my personal life of like 
wear this or that and have your hair cut. Like I, I was 18 with cornrows down on my shoulders. You know what I mean? So it's like, they said, Hey, you'll make more money if you, you know, shave your hair. I shaved it right then. It wasn't a question. You know what I mean? A lot of individuals, it's like, they, you care what you look like. You want to be perceived a certain way. It's like, I want to win. You know what I mean? Like, as long as I'm not hurting anybody or doing anything immoral, I'll do whatever it takes to win. You know what I mean? So like hair shave, you could tell me shave my eyebrows, you know, that would add an extra mil. Let's go. <laughs> I keep telling our acquisitions guy that he's, he's, he's a killer. Um, but he's got long curly hair and he had hair down here too. And I'm like, dude, I did it too. I'm telling yeah. you, you do better. He's like, well, I don't think it has to do with my, it has more to do with this. I'm like, you're right. It should have more to do with that, but people are going to judge you, dude. So like you going up to an older person, they're now going to be less likely. You're going to yes might do better with certain people, but to go to the more mass, which I don't want you to shape yourself into what everybody else wants either, which is the hard part of being a salesperson is like, if you're feeling a certain way or you're trying to not to shape to everything, but you will relate to more people or they'll judge you less right up front. So that's, that's always the interesting dilemma. I guess I'll ask you about that. I was going to ask you another leadership question, which we can get into next. Have you felt yourself have to change your identity a little bit in order to fit in? Or like, let's say you're having a bad day. Then you go on a sales call. Guess what? You're not having a bad day anymore because you got sales to do. Have you noticed that take away any sense of self for you? Yeah, no, not, not at all. <clears throat> and I don't know if it's just me as like a weird person of like, there's not much that bothers me. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I had a hard, hard upbringing, a hard American upbringing. I like to emphasize that because I've, I've been out of the country and I, I see what hard is out of America. And it's a blessing to have hard in America. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, hard upbringings in America are, are laughable in other in other countries and other places in this world. And so for me, I would say I've never felt like that because I think as a young man, just both my parents, they went away when I was when I was young and my mom got out first. And just that emotional like separation, it caused a lot of like anger in me. And I kind of, you know, utilized that anger to develop just this, a better person than I was. It was negative. And then I kind of had a pendulum swing from that negativity and fighting in high school to positivity of building and growing and just desiring the best for me as a human. But I know when things get hard in my, in my outside life and you know, people have died and, you know, just horrible things have happened, made mistakes, have lost a lot, have lost a lot of money and just just things that would like really negatively affect people emotionally. I don't portray that because I think one, how was how I was brought up and what I went through. It's just like it's it's a blessing. I, anytime I go through something, I've got this perspective and I, there's a gentleman that I really you know align myself with, with what he preaches. His name's Wes Watson. He's been all over the place. He's just basically shirtless all the time and screaming in the camera. But I completely agree with, he did 10 years in prison and he was like, it was a blessing because my perspective was, I'm going to use this to get better. You can use it to, to cry and complain, or you can use it to get better. And so I just changed my perspective of my past made me who I am and I'll use it to get better. And when I go through things now, I like to exemplify that one, I am a human. I don't want to come off as a robot and be like, oh man, this person died. So I'm going to get up here, smile and jump around. Like I'm going to be a human and be vulnerable to my people. But very, the, the vulnerability is brief because I've got this vision of, of just doing billions and trillions of dollars. And it, it doesn't, that's not in the, that's not in the list of requirements of us to get there. Do you know what I mean? Like there's not much time for me to sulk 
It's not going to do anything. What can I control right now has been my number one focus and priority of my life since 18 years old. It's like, what, what's within my control? What's not within my control? All of my energy is going to the controllables. I can't control what happens externally, but inside, as long as God blesses me with another day of me having control over my motor functioning skills, my mind, I'm going to, I'm going to utilize and focus there opposed to somebody else that might just be sitting there crying and hoping something else changes like Santa Claus, you know, he goes away after a while and you got to figure this shit out yourself. Mm -hmm. Uh, when it comes to that, Simon, is it Arias? Arias? Yes. Simon Arias. Yes. Uh, how did you get connected with him? Are you part of a mastermind? Did you pay nah. education? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so he is the owner of the Pittsburgh agency I got associated with. And he actually promoted me to the Chicago owner as a partnership. Right. So there's two ways you can be a individual owner or a partner owner. Right. So just like pretty much like any other company, I would imagine. But I started in his company. He actually got a four-year degree from Mercyhurst University in uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. He's from Youngstown, Ohio, got into insurance at 22, just turned 40 and 18 years. I mean, he's done 18 million times more than I have. And you, you can see through his success, the liquidated, you know, actual effects of it, opposed to more of the, the 1099s and gross that I have. You know, my, my 1099s are probably a bad week for him in income. So it's like, it's, uh, it's, it's, it puts things into perspective of like, it's all been insurance too. He does, he has some real estate properties, commercial, you know, individual and things like that. But it's like 90% of his money has been insurance. And it's, it's inspiring because he did it when it, I call it like the old man times, like compass, you know, and like, you know, paper leads and not like I did all my selling was door to door as well before we went virtual, but like, man, you know, he, he's done some astonishing things. The individuals, the relationships he's built, he's uh, developed two uh, like charities, youth. Uh, I don't know the proper term I'm trying to come up with right now, but Youngstown has inspiring minds. And then there's Steel City Impact in Pittsburgh where these groups of, you know, young men and women that I probably would have been a part of where, you know, maybe these, these kids just don't have the best homes or the best attention in school and they're able to get together. He had, I don't know if you guys follow football at all, but James Harrison has been a part. Um, Ryan Shazier, Jim Trussell, just some really cool football guys. He's big into football. A lot of, a lot of cool individuals have gotten together and Simon's, you know, put that together and, and changed a lot of lives, you know, a lot of, a lot of lives. I'm not like the only, only prodigy or, or wouldn't even say prodigy. The only like big, big wig that's come out of his, his leadership and his organization. There's 10, 10 plus other guys making way more money than me with a little more experience than me that uh, he's helped over the last, you know, 15 plus years. Pulling data lists like vacant houses, mortgage foreclosures, and tax delinquent properties is important to direct to seller marketing. Batch Leads is the main platform where we store our sellers data and skip trace owners for their phone numbers, emails, and addresses. On other platforms, you end up having to pay twice for the same contact if you've already skip traced it. My favorite thing about batch leads is that if you skip traced a contact once, you never have to pay for that contact again. Batch leads has SMS texting campaigns, direct mail marketing, and driving for dollars app integrated in a simple to use interface. Click the link below and try batch leads today. 
So you said that you were doing some door to door and then that's where all my sales were. I did half a million dollars in sales door to door life insurance. Wow. And then COVID hit and you had COVID some pop up. And so then you were doing virtual. So what does your organization look like today? Are you yeah. paying for leads? Are you, how are yeah. you, how are you doing your marketing? What does your overhead look like? Cause you talked about how that increased a lot as an owner now. What, how many people do you have? What CRMs and systems? Like when it yeah. comes to being an owner of a life insurance company, how complex does it get? I would say it's very simple because everything, everything that we have systematically is pretty much provided from our franchisor. You know what I mean? So from American Income Life and Globe Life, they from American Income Life is just a subsidiary that contributes to the umbrella company, which is Globe Life. And they've got multiple insurance companies. We're just the largest. We make up 90% of globe life and that's that football right there globe life's the official life insurance company for the dallas cowboys atlanta braves and the texas rangers if you look up the rangers that's our stadium it'll say globe life stadium and so that would be the first piece and they actually develop a they have a pr system and a, a pr essentially department a public relations department that goes out and generates leads for every state and then they sell those to the owners so there's a way for them to make a couple bucks there, obviously to offset, you know, franchise costs, whatever it might be. And then from, from those leads, they're pretty much union. So we're the only, I believe, unionized life insurance company in the nation. So despite being, you know, entrepreneurs, there's still a union base that I believe we're one of the largest unions. It's uh, OPEIU, Office Professional Employees International Union. And our all of our 1099 contractors, even our 1099, myself, franchise owners, you have the ability to have you know, union protection in a sense, really, it's a crazy dynamic that, that kind of, you know, has come together. So you've got that. And then from there, the expenses, I buy all the leads and those leads average anywhere from probably about 20 to $28 a piece. And I think some of the biggest months I've given out is like close to 10,000 leads. And, you know, I know like, you know, Simon's given out probably 10 times the amount and we'll, you know, pay for, you know, half on the front end and half on our back end. So that would be our, our renewal accounts where th that's where there's, there's a lot of money uh, made there just in insurance in general. So that would be a large brunt of the expenses. Then, you know, as, as uh, owners, I know we pay for half of the bonuses. So we have individuals on a structure and this is what I think this is phenomenal with our company because other life insurance companies will say, well, we've got a higher, a higher commission up front, but people don't realize like any product, if somebody returns the product or the service within a certain period of time, they get their money back. It's a refund and life insurance is called a chargeback. So if you're getting 120% up front, the first week it hits, it comes off next week. You give the whole 120% back, right? Our company is awesome because you get 50 or 60% up front, but you get additional percent, like up to 20% in a bonus that they wouldn't take back or hold you accountable for. So they factor in a percentage of that money to be bonus money. If it does charge back, obviously the funds are refunded. We're a business. It's not just some, you know, socialism. I like, Oh, you could just have whatever you want. Like it's, that's not, that's not how it operates. It wouldn't you know be profitable. So <clears throat> the bonuses, you know, half the, half of those are covered by the franchise owner. The other half's covered by uh, American income life. So that would be expenses. The amount of people, I've got about 200 licensed agents, and I would say on a weekly basis, 30 to 40% submit business every single week. 
And I'd say about third, like the industry average is about 9% of people will stay after 12 months. I bet I'm 30 to 40%. Like I've only, I've only been in ownership for, it'll be three years uh, that I officially got the call next month. But there's not like after our first year or two of like, you know, hiccups and things like that. I feel like over this last, you know, 12 months, we've kept probably closer to 50% of the individuals. That's crazy. That's a yeah. lot. Yes. Yes. It's a significant amount. What's, what's your funniest, uh, you were talking about door to door a little bit. What's your funniest door to door, uh, sales experience or like most life threatening. <laughs> yeah. One was the gun in my, I feel everybody door to door. If you did it long enough, you got a gun. So yeah, the, the West Virginia, this dude pulled a gun out on me nine 30 and it was, he was all, it was just this old, the middle-aged white dude and he was holding it sideways. And I was like, I'm for sure getting shot. And I'm 19. Like, I was like, yeah, I was like, dude, I don't have a gun. And he was just yelling. So like, I was just backing away, trying to stay calm. I didn't want to startle him or anything like that. But I was, I mean, I don't know how I wasn't like crying. I was like shit in my pants. You know what I mean? Like I grew up in a rough, rough, you know, rough neighborhood and uh, was always rough fighter, all that. But like, that was the first gun in my face. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, like, like that, that violently, you know what I mean? Maybe people checking me and things like that, but that violently and things like that. So that was, that was uh look back and laugh most life threatening. And then the funniest, it wasn't even me. It was my boy in Nebraska. He called me and he had just got out of a sit, a presentation and he's in the middle of the presentation. And he said, I'm presenting and I'm, I'm going through the computer application and all of a sudden, I hear this blood-curdling scream. And I was like, oh, my God. You know, what happened? He's like, he's like, I paused, and I'm nervous. And I look up at them, and they're just staring at me like nothing happened. And so I got more nervous. And I'm, I was like, okay, so what happened next? And he's like, so here's what happened next. So I you know, still paused. I look at him, and I'm like, did you guys hear that? And they're like, yeah, just keep going. And they, he was like, do you mind if I ask what was that? He was like, yeah, it's our, it's our pet monkey. And he was like, geez. And they were like, do you want to see? And he's like, sure. You know, I'll go see. They walk him back. They go to open the door before they open the door. He said, put his hand on the door. And I think the wife looked at him and said, whatever you do, don't look him in the eyes. So that made me even more nervous than I like, or like low key. I'm like, okay, sweet little monkey. Have you guys seen the Planet of the Apes? <laughs> yeah. See that? So he said, they open the door. It's an albino chimpanzee. Large, though. Like, like five plus foot stand. Like, and it's chained to bars on the window. The window's barred up. It's chained up. And it's just, like, like standing there in the room, chained up. And uh, he just was, like, startled backed out they were like all right and he's like he said when he was driving away it was in the window staring at him and like he just did not feel it was not no bueno didn't make the sale was not a good experience already a bad week for him and uh i think he tried to come home and box me or something for his bad day <laughs> you know what i mean like it was it was the it was the funniest story in the world to me i still to this day crack up about it that's crazy dude <laughs> talk, talk about 
Talk about when you got that uh, gun in your face. Did you just, like, what was your reaction? Did you just go, all right, well, I guess I'm going to the next door. What? what no, absolutely not. Like, whoa, 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 I don't I don't have a gun. I start backing up. I'm backing up. Yo, 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 I do not have a gun. I'm just with your life insurance company. He's like, you guys keep effing coming. He's got gun pointed. I'm like, bro, bro, I don't have I don't have a gun. Like, what are you doing? And I just like get in the car and it was probably it was probably three, four minutes. You know what I mean? From from time of door knock to whip the door open, the wife whips the door open, they're back. He comes running, gun sideways. And I'm like, already because already as she starts, you know, yelling to her husband, I'm like, all right, fine, he can run up. Runs up though with the grabs a gun like off the dresser or something right behind there. It was such a weird setup. It's West Virginia. Oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Gun there. There was another time I had someone not buy because I wouldn't hook up with their daughter. <laughs> I had a girlfriend and I was like, I have a, I have a girlfriend. They were like, well, just take her out to, you know, you know, lunch or dinner. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll take her out. But they, cause I wanted to make the sale. I took her out, but I brought my, my, uh, my best friend and he worked with me at the time. So one of my sales reps and I sat by him at the dinner. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so they, they had bought, it was $2,500 deal. They bought, she goes home, tells them like she had a bad time because I didn't flirt at all. You know what I mean? It was cheeseburgers. Hope you have a great night. Deuces. You know what I mean? Just hit a whammy on your family. <laughs> not doing anything. You know what I mean? I'm not doing nothing. I'm not, you know, I'm serious about this girl I'm with. And, uh, yep, next day, chargeback. You know what I mean? I'm like, wow. You know what I mean? Life, like the life insurance was less important than me courting your daughter. So it is what it is. I think my buddy went back and sold her and they bought and he did not do anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like, I think they just like bought just out of spite of me. Oh my gosh. See, that's, that's what I always tell our acquisitions guys. Whenever you know something like that could happen, like, and you know, that's there that I'm always like, Hey, go send in somebody else. And then let's just split the deal or whatever. Cause you know, you ain't closing it anymore. Yeah. I pissed them off. Cause sometimes that happens too, where you're just like, our personalities aren't jiving. I'm going to piss them off. I'm, I'm, I'm good enough at reading people to know that it's not going to work. So I'll send somebody else in and let's split the deal. <laughs> yeah. Um, thousand percent done that. Yep. Uh, I wanted to ask you too. So earlier you talked about uh, the dichotomy between accountability and love. I want to know a story or like, tell me how you actually do that with your 200 people, like 200 people. That's a lot. Of yeah. people. Are you doing this one-on-one? -on -one? You doing this to many, like, how do you love and hold accountable both at the same time? And if you have a story to show, that'd be awesome. Yeah. You know, I think it's, you know, it's the story's written every single day. You know what I mean? I communicate with as many individuals as I can. And I, I go through tiers of leadership and those tiers of leadership are just, you know, they're, they're discriminated by results. You know, there's no tenure that I'm looking for, or, you know, individuals I'm looking to favor. Like at the end of the day, it's a business. And John Maxwell always says, when it comes to family, it's based off of uh, companionship. But when it comes to business, it's based off of contribution. You have to contribute. So, contribute contributions the number one you know priority you have to contribute to have a seat at the table you don't have to contribute a lot but you have to contribute a little and the table that you decide to sit at every single day is in your hands and i will come and meet you at your table but i might not be at your table very long because i'm going to spend most of my time with the the most massive contributors you know what i mean that the table that's got the biggest minded 
the biggest active, the biggest spirited contributors that are bringing the most. And I'd say, you know, I, I can think to, you know, many situations with the individuals that contribute to the business and they just operate with different personalities. You know, I got this one guy that, you know, he's a, he's a, one of my top guys, top contributors. And, you know, he starts his day at like 11 or 12 and I start my day at four 30. So like for a while, like hated it, but you know, I would always ask myself, I like to, as I've grown, especially in leadership, just looking at things, not from just wearing the other individual's shoes, but wearing the shoes of the individuals they love or that love them, that love them. You know what I mean? Thinking about him from his mom's perspective, his dad's perspective, his girlfriend's perspective, maybe future, his kid's perspective on how I'm talking to him, treating him and leading him. It helps me make a way more calmer decision than in the past. I might want to wrestle him for like showing up at one o'clock. You know what I mean? When I know his, he, he makes, you know, 400, $500,000 a year off working one to nine. And I'm like, bro, I can make you a millionaire. Let's just work eight to nine and you would be a millionaire, you know? And it's like, that used to drive me insane. But then I was like, as I've grown, it's one thing to read things. It's a whole other thing to execute. You know what I mean? Like you could read a million good things, but if you have zero execution, it was all worthless. You could read one good thing and a hundred percent execution. You're, you're like, I read the other day, like the focus fool will always beat the distracted genius. So I'd say that's the, the best example. And that's, that story is written every single day is having a unique relationship with unique people is, is the only way you're going to be able to build and sustain a leadership. It's not cookie cutter. Everybody needs led differently, spoken to differently. Everybody has different dreams and goals and aspirations. And you got to meet people where they're at every single day. And that's the price you pay as a leader. Well, what's, what's your why? What are your, some of your dreams, goals, and aspirations? What are you, yeah. what's your uh, ultimate purpose that's driving you to continue to do this? Yeah, man. You know, I get, it's a combination. It's a phenomenal question on, on what my why is. And I get torn between the selfishness of, of a legacy that, that just outweighs any legacy ever created in the history of mankind. And, and also the selfishness of, you know, wanting to give my mom, you know, the, the best life in the world possible. You know what I mean? With, with, with however many, she's, you know, 56 or 57 with however many years, if she can get another 50 years or another, you know, 10, 20, whatever, however, whatever God has destined for, you know, each of us just giving her the best life possible. And uh, that back into the legacy, like that's not, not just solely, but through helping other individuals genuinely, like just helping the people that get affiliated with me, just go and do things that have never been done before and creating a legacy that way that just isn't comparable to anybody's. Like I, I want to make it, I want to make it a life well-lived through, through accomplishment, through others, you know what I mean? Helping others accomplish as much as they can and, and really just trying to get them in the limelight as much as possible. And, and that requires beating people. I love, I love just, just looking at the numbers and knowing like, man, we're, we're beating them. You know what I mean? Like how much are you doing in revenue? How much are you making? And like just beating people. I love to compete. And, and I love the idea of, uh, you know, just giving my mom the best life possible. My sister as well. Those are, probably my only two people really you know what i mean that are like you know what i mean that really like man those are those are my people like i don't got you know big like big family on my mom's side my dad's side yeah but none of them talk to me really you know what i mean since i was about 10 so it's like just really got my mom and sister 
what are you doing now to create like more of a net worth and more legacy wealth, like passive income, some cash flow, things like yeah. that? Are you have you pushed everything into the life insurance right now? And so you're just like, dude, this is my life. I'll figure yeah. that out in five years. Or are you still putting some money back and like, you know, yeah. our coach Ryan Pineda says uh, the 401k is not the way is <laughs> like, yeah. Not- big supporter of the traditional investments but do you have some of those traditional investments yeah. what are you doing right now yeah so honestly like very minor like i hit my financial advisor up yesterday very minor you know what i mean i might throw a couple grand a month a band a month and in, into like traditional investments and keep my eye open to like i'll hear real estate deals and things like that but honestly i put outside of life insurance i think we we spend probably i would say a mil plus a year, like on a low, on a low end, on an absolute, probably closer to two, just on the life insurance over these last uh, three years. And I'm putting right now, roughly probably, I'd say about a hundred grand a year into social media. So I'm just risking it because I know social media isn't like a, such as a tangible asset, such as real estate, where you can like the predictability of like buy this property and you're going to cash flow this by year X, Y, and Z, you do this and X. I know it's not as predictable and it's like, it's, I, I wouldn't say it's like Vegas where you're risking, but you know, I, I am, uh, I'm putting a lot of money into social media. Like the setup in here was a good amount of money. You know what I mean? And then the amount of money I'm putting four or five grand a month into a media company to get out a minimum of, I think we're doing 140 pieces of content a month right now. And, and the goal, I went over him with him uh, yesterday. I was like, I don't have the money to scale it to that, but I want to go from 140 to 250 a week. So I want to 10X our output and start posting 70 times a day. So if I'm already paying four or five grand, it's like, I'm not paying you 40 grand a month. You know, I just can't do that right now. But I can talk to you about us going up to eight grand because that's on top of my personal. I put another four or five grand through different promotions, social, I'll get people on the podcast. At four o'clock, I've got a UFC contender getting on my podcast. So like I'm putting money, you know, into, into media and I'm looking, I went to Jake Paul's fight and I'm looking at all these YouTubers that whether they're legitimately making millions, they're making money. They, they made their way to Dallas, paid a thousand dollars to sit on a floor seat. And I'm thinking to myself, like if these kids and, and forgive me for thinking, you know, egotistically, but I'm like, if these idiot kids can make these YouTube videos, and you know, Jake Paul made $53 million last year making YouTube videos. Mr. Beast turned down a billion dollar offer. He's been making YouTube videos since he's 14. He's 24 years old. I'm like, bro, we are sitting on the on the future real estate right here. Digital real estate is, first off, it's infinite. Real estate in the world is not infinite. And, and I'm thinking like the value of influence is far more manipulatable than than a like real estate you know what i mean and when i when i look at the two i, I know you're you guys run a real estate i'm over here like beating up real estate. i'm just saying i feel like they're king and queen if i am putting my money anywhere i think right now i think social media might be a king pawn move a king chess move and real estate is paired with it as the queen and we all know the queen is even more volatile and dangerous on the chessboard anyway so it's really even better but uh man i get really excited about social media because it's it's generated literally physically i've made millions from instagram just instagram alone and i'm excited to see what tiktok and youtube do for me over the next five to ten years too 
Yeah, our our mastermind coach, Ryan Pineda, went heavy into social media. And so he basically took his house buying business and kind of put somebody in charge of that and was like, hey, you guys run this. And then some of his commercial deals and stuff like that to come through. He's not really even actively involved in it. He's just one of the primary partners who raises the money and that sort of thing. I think the most successful people do a combination. I mean, you got to do some because they're like, it's just, if you look at the primary things that the majority of like really wealthy people do, it's like uh, franchises, businesses, real estate, social media, and like that universal banking thing with, those those like five or six things are like basically it like that's what really wealthy people do yeah uh what would you say is your biggest struggle right now uh biggest struggle for me right now and maybe sweets (laughs) sweets referrals getting our referral percentages up i'd like I think our office is like 70% dependent on our leads and 30% referrals. I'd love for that to flip. You know what I mean? Cause then our profitability just doubles. Have you heard of, and not even for myself, I don't care. About money. Have you heard of Buffini? Uh, it's a realtor CRM Buffini. No. He talks about going and like door knocking people in the summer and like bringing them a watermelon and just being like, Hey man, I just, yeah. Yeah. We, this watermelon. <laughs> yeah we i try to steal the the bird dogging from the car and uh the car guys you know what i mean like refer to me you know four or five people to get a policy anybody that gets a policy i'll get you lunch you know what i mean i'll get you dinner i'll get you a gift card to your favorite place to go you know what i mean so i think that's what they do in the the car guys i've i've talked to that have have done really well i think they call it bird dogging or something yeah and uh who's the ufc guy you're having on yeah so his name's bryce mitchell Bryce Mitchell. Yep. He's got 500,000 followers. He's from the same town as me, Little Rock, Arkansas. He's the second UFC fighter to hit a twister in uh, UFC. I do a lot of jujitsu, and a twister is just basically twisting someone's whole body, basically. It's very painful. Call it a guillotine in high school wrestling, but, you know, guillotine's something different in jujitsu. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So the guillotine is just a choke. The twister is not a choke. It's a spinal uh, submission. So you're you're literally getting twisted in half. The legs are entangled with their legs. You're 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 both on your back. You have their legs entangled, and you start to crank on their head one way, and the legs point the other way. And so it's a it it literally is twisting your spine. Yes. Yeah, that's and I, it, it's I, horrible. In, in high school wrestling, we called it a guillotine, but it you know yeah. you get them to put their arm over your head so you can oh, oh okay yeah 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 no I thought you were actually talking about the, okay yeah I've seen wrestlers do that I wrestled for a year or two. Good deal. Yeah, I, yeah. Finished, I finished some people with a with a twister. We just called it. Yeah, because you're not allowed to choke people in high school wrestling. <laughs> yeah, no, you can't choke in wrestling. I sucked at it. <laughs> uh, we are we are getting kind of close right here. Okay, this is our last question. We like to ask people. So you're gonna fast forward to the end of your life, and you're on your deathbed. You have a final message to the world. So it could be a billboard. Yeah, be a sentence, a paragraph, a mantra. Your message, when people read it, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, Tristan definitely said that. Yeah. Your final message you think the world needs to hear, and it's your legacy. What is it? I'd say my final message would be to love God and 
love yourself, love others, and love your country. Definitely love God would be number one, man. You, this this life is so finite, you know. It'll, it's here today and gone tomorrow, and I would I would hate to risk it. See what happens, you know. After and be wrong, I'm hope I'm hoping to be right, you know. But for the people that are guessing and watching this, I'd hate for you to be wrong. I think you should have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, those are my thoughts and opinions. How can our listeners get a hold of you? Yeah, Win Windy City Tristan's cool. Instagram is the best for me. I'm I'm on TikTok. I do my Instagram, but that's probably, that's probably the best. I like it. Cool. Any final thoughts that you can think of that you want to share with the listeners? Uh, yeah. What's your guys' thoughts on Grant Cardone? Because that's the only real estate education I have. <laughs> Dude, so i was just watching uh undercover billionaire um if you yeah. see the show i haven't seen it but he's in my subscriptions it keeps saying it's like eight hours long and i'm like i'm not doing that yeah dude so it's it was really cool uh he actually showed us a lot about building a business and ryan Pineda told us the same thing but anyway i got introduced to him obviously from car sales he's a car sales trainer so that's yeah. where i learned a lot of sales and stuff then he started getting into real estate he says some interesting stuff and he's always says these things, go big or go home or go bigger. doesn't say go big or go home. He says, go big or go bigger. And, you know, so he says that buying a single family house is like the dumbest thing that you can do. And so we disagree with them on a lot of different stuff. But at the same time, he does the same thing that we essentially do is he finds a big building, he gets other people to pay for it, it cash flows, and then he's freaking rocking and rolling. Then he uses the depreciation to take away his active income. So you're making a million dollars you depreciate a million dollars and now you're making nothing on paper. You pay nothing to taxes and you're actually cash flowing. So he's got good philosophies, wow. but some of the stuff he says, you got to take it with a grain of salt because it's just crazy. Yeah. I think yeah. For, for us, man, we started with little to no money. Dakota had a home equity line of credit against his house and a little bit of money in the bank. I had no money. So we were, you know, our first purchase was done partly on a credit card, partly with money in the bank. And we were yeah. buying those houses that were like in the rough, part of town and uh we just did whatever we had to in order to get started so we started with those little single family homes that grant cardone was like man you don't want to buy those man trust me you need to buy something huge like aim a lot higher guys. yeah and uh yeah. we've scaled it to the point now where like uh let's see the month of july we bought 43 properties it's insane in, in july and all you need to know about real estate is you have to get really good at finding deals and finding money. The way that you get really good at finding deals is by going direct to seller. In our experience, you go direct to seller and you're targeting people who are tax delinquent, mortgage foreclosure, vacant houses, probate court. Those are the people you're sending out mailers to. Those are the people you're cold calling. Yeah. In our experience, if you want to buy a property for 50 to 60% of what it's worth, it has to have some problems or the problem has to be that somebody inherited it and they don't want to deal with it. Yeah. That's fire. <laughs> yeah. You got Brent Daniels, you got Pace Morby, got Ryan Pineda. Those are some guys, real estate yeah. guys for you. Who's your guy's favorite? Ryan Pineda, I would imagine. Mm, I don't know. I mean, that that's a loaded question. We take the best of everything from each one of them, you know, yeah. I feel you. Yeah. He's got, he's got a lot of good information. I don't take everything that he says. I love Ed Milet. He's one of my biggest mentors. Um, he's somebody that I really like admire, but there's still some things that I don't take from him. So yeah, yeah. we take a lot of stuff from Ryan Dossie, who's an Indianapolis guy. He's taught us a lot. We've implemented a lot of his systems. 
And he's more like gives you the tactical stuff where he's like, okay, here's how to pull the list. Here's what to say to him. He tells you exactly how to do it. Ryan Pineda is like a big picture thing. <laughs> like, hey, here's how to build your business. Who's who, Here's who you're going to hire. Here's how you're going to pay them people. He teaches you the business aspect of it. Pace Morby's like, hey, if you can't make a deal happen, here's how to make that deal happen. If you do a subject two, take over their existing mortgage and then do it that way. So he teaches you that stuff. Brent Daniels more like, here's exactly what to say whenever you're going to get on the phone with them. So we just take everything from each one of them and like, all right, Dude, let's build our own freaking thing that's going to make this thing massive. And so out of all of them, one of my favorites, uh, I would say Brent Daniels is my favorite yeah. because he connects the most with me, like how I like am. And so I like him the most. Brent Daniels, I would say. Is a, is a subject too? you, you can just take over someone's mortgage. Yes. Yeah. So that's Pace Morby. He basically explains it as like, you know, if you go to the grocery store and you use a credit card, you're using the bank's money, right? It's not your money. How do they know that you own those groceries? It's the receipt. That's the same as a deed. Yeah. You can move the receipt, the deed, to another person. Do you, they keep the same mortgage rate? Keep yeah. the same mortgage. Exactly. Is that is that just Indiana or is there subject twos in other states? Everywhere. That's everywhere, man. That's that's the power of real estate is, you know, you talk about it like you got to have money and you can do it with no money. You just have to know exactly who's in the situation and what to say and the paperwork in order to do it. And a lot of realtors will tell you along the way that that's not possible. A lot of uh, title companies will tell you that they can't do that. You're just talking to the wrong people. If that's the, if those are the answers that you're getting, you're just not talking to the right title company or the right person at the title company who's been along around, uh, who's been around long enough to explain to you how to do it. You know, yeah. Right. Real estate lawyers. You know, there's there's people who are more niche who understand real estate investors. Who can actually help you figure it out yeah follow follow pace morby for sure if you're interested in taking over people's mortgages especially if you're in an expensive place and they got a low rate that's the best way to get into real estate investing yeah. my grandma got a got a house and i just moved her into an apartment it was like a 400 500 house and i don't want to she's only got like 100 grand left on it but i don't want to like take over it and, and get an eight percent mortgage rate if she's got two three percent right now right exactly so cool man well, love it well uh yeah do you have any other uh anything else that you want to share with the listeners i don't think so man you know what i mean go out and get some real estate <laughs> <laughs> i love it cool thanks again for coming on brother we appreciate you man yeah maybe yes, we'll sir. appreciate you jump on yours one of these yes days. anytime you guys want to get on mine let me know would love you guys to get on I'll tony and dakota let's go peace yes sir see you brother thank you sir thank you.